Hi, I'm Debbie Shore, co-founder of Share Our Strength, and this is Add Passion and Stir. My brother Billy and I have been working on food and hunger issues for about 30 years, and I can't believe how much of this I wasn't even aware of. So be prepared to get mad, but more importantly, be prepared to get active. If there is good news, it's that you can do something about it. Your vote on election day is important, but you can also vote every day with your wallet. Listen to this conversation with Washington, D.C.'s 2015 Chef of the Year, Victor Albisu. We have enough food in this country to feed everybody, but we don't feed them. And the New Venture Fund's founder and chair, Eric Kessler. The solutions aren't that complicated, and we actually can get there. Hi, I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, we're in Washington, D.C. today with two folks related to my favorite restaurants in town. One is Victor Albuso, uh, the chef and owner of Del Campo Restaurant. Did I pronounce that right? No, you didn't. No, I didn't. Okay, we even practiced beforehand. Yes, so we did. Do it again. It's Victor Albisu. Victor Albisu. Okay. Almost. This is close. Um, but I'm glad you're here. We love Del Campo. <laughs> We've had some great meals there. That's and, what matters. Um, so thank, no, I appreciate and, it. And I'm glad you're on the show. Thank you. Uh, and Eric Kessler. Um, a really uh, also involved in the restaurant world, uh, an investor part owner of Graffiato's, which mm. is really a fabulous restaurant, and other Mike Isabella restaurants, and uh, quite an expert on food policy and food systems. Eric, thanks for being with us. What a pleasure. Um, let's start by talking about how you two. Oh, my sister Debbie Shore. He always forgets me. I always me. forget. It's so <laughs> he invites it's, me. It's so but unfortunate then he to be remember. my sister. I know it really is rough. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Tell me how you guys know each other. I saw I saw big hugs when you walked in the room, so it sounds like you know each other well. I met Victor on the sort of D.C. food scene and as a trustee of the James Beard Foundation. Um, and at the Beard Foundation, we've been working to build an army of chefs who, uh, who are interested in fixing our food system. And we've been running training camps, chef boot camps, uh, every couple of months where we bring together some of the best chefs in the country to learn how to be advocates, learn how to use their voice and their customer base and their TV appearances to talk about food policy. And we were putting together one of these groups. Uh, and of course, Victor is at the top of the list of folks who we wanted involved. And so um, uh, we got to know each other best uh, through that experience. And Victor, you come from um, a, a kind of a restaurant lineage, right? Your mom, I think, was extent, restaurateur. Yeah. Um, and- my father's Cuban and my mother's Peruvian. And my mother always had worked in either restaurants. Now she has, or for the last X amount of years has had a Latin market in, in Falls Church, real right next to Taco Bombo. On my dad's side, my father was my grandfather was a baker in Cuba, so we had a lot of food always surrounding us. And if you guys know anything about uh, Cuban and Peruvian cultures specifically, they're probably the two most well-fed cultures of Latin America. It's uh, those, those you know we, we're talking about dinner tomorrow when we're having dinner right now. Really? So so it's a culture of <laughs> real passion for food and Big talking time. about it and thinking Absolutely. and planning. Absolutely. Yeah. And and was it a given that you were going to go into the no. just in terms of the way you were raised? No, or? actually no. I I mean most, you know, kind of uh, first generation here uh, born here are like I am. Uh, this is exactly not what you're supposed to do. You know, I was uh, I actually graduated um, from uh, George Mason with uh, degrees in international uh, relations and government and politics and was working in international development for a few years before I decided that nothing was really moving a needle for me and I was really, you know, I had nothing to, uh, no passion and nothing to start with. So it was, uh, uh, you know, I, I had to get out of it. Um, so so I did and everybody was kind of like, you know, what, you know, it was the idea that we had to do this for you to be able to do whatever else. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do and you know have the American dream, and that did not include becoming a cook. And, um, and where did you first cook? 
I cooked my way my, my whole life since I was you know I, you know it, it, it's terrible to say this because it's you know just child labor laws nowadays but but uh, you know my family put me to work at seven eight years old I mean honestly uh, you know I spent all my summers in Miami working in my family's restaurants and I grew up in in, in the business I, I I waited tables cooked my way through school um, and so everyone was like why do you want to go back to that you know I'm like I just you know it's what I wanted and. And what's interesting, what's you know, one of the more interesting things to me every day, not, is that somehow I've been able to come full circle in my life, in my career personally, and and be able to at least assist change and be a part of it and have conversations and you know that's what I always wanted out of you know, out of uh, out of my original degrees. Yeah. Now, Eric, I introduced you as a um, as a restaurant guy, and you are uh, with Graffiatos and others, but and a food policy expert. You're really well-known and respected for being the founder of Arabella Advisors mm. and working on philanthropy. And you spend a lot of time working on policy issues, both in the private sector and in the public sector. How did food become um, so big a part of what you're about? Yeah, well, you know, my, my background, I'm, I'm really a recovering political hack. I worked in politics for many years, worked on lots of political campaigns. Uh, I had the privilege of working in the Clinton White House. Um, uh, um, and then transitioned my career. And to what was your work in the Clinton White House? Mostly on environmental policy. Okay. Um, so I spent most of my time uh, uh, at the Interior Department working on um, green places and beautiful things um, and, uh, and engaging local, rural communities in, in conservation. But then uh, I transitioned my career to start working um, with uh, the wealthiest people in the country who have a real passion for putting their resources to work to um, uh, further their mission, whether that mission is improving education or improving health care or protecting uh, immigrants' rights or, uh, in many cases, um, improving our food system. Um, and uh, and so uh, the firm that I founded 12 years ago, Arabella, uh, works for a few hundred uh, philanthropists and foundations across the country and um, uh, whose, whose interests uh, are the full range of, of public policy uh, issues and, and and was that a result of you were in government? You had the opportunity to intersect and get to know folks who were who, who in the private sector had those resources, and you saw what a lack of strategy and opportunity to get them more engaged. What was I guess the pivot point for you to say I'm going to launch something like Arabella that hasn't existed before? Yeah, the 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 real pivot point was you're exactly right. I, through that experience, um, I got to know lots of philanthropists, lots of friends of mine from the White House went to work for. Uh, philanthropists um, uh, at the end of the administration. Um, and for many years, I was just a, a friend to them. They would come to me and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Who do you know? Or uh, um, or uh, uh, we, we want to get this done. Uh, do you have any thoughts? And so for many years, I was just an advisor. And I didn't know there was such a thing as a philanthropy advisor. One day, somebody told me that uh, the advice I gave them was really valuable. So as a joke, I sent him a bill. And, I have uh, to try that sometime. And, and a couple weeks later, I got a check. And uh, um, so I quit my job and started a philanthropy consulting firm. I want to talk about uh, what we what I've heard Eric describe as a good food system and good food and food policy. Yeah. So I, I would define the attributes of a good food system being um, one that provides for healthy, nutritious, sustainable, and equitable food for all. So um, it's about the environment. It's about equality. It's about um, uh, it's about our health and the predeterminants of health that that food really is. And um, when you're saying equality, you're, also, you're talking about access to affordable the entire supply chain from farm to fork okay. so uh, um, uh, so how the food is grown how it's produced how it's distributed how it's prepared 
and how it's consumed. Is there a country that like does it really well that we should be like following or looking at? Because I, I can't imagine who that would be, but I'm very curious. You know, I think I, I think sometimes I fall into this sort of romantic vision of sort of the you know Italy, where you sort of on your way home from work, you pick up your baguette and you pick up your prosciutto and you pick up your fish cheese and, and your yeah. fish. And, you know, um, uh, that really isn't applicable in the United States. Our, our, our food system is so vast and so diverse and is so and, and so much of it is, is monopolized. We we're, we're pretty far from the ideal. Mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, at the same time, what attracted me to digging in deeper in the food world is that the solutions aren't that complicated and we actually can get there. It's going to take time and it's going to take perseverance and it's going to take investment dollars and it's going to take policymakers getting out of the way of a good food system. And my last question on this uh, topic would be, like, do you feel like, in addition to the policymakers that have to obviously um, get their act together on this, does it also require public demand? Well, so that's the interesting thing about food right now is that um, is that the demand for good food, what I would do, what I would call good food, um, outstrips the supply, and the supply is constrained by policy. So right now we have demand off the chart across every demographic in the country. For good food, and good food meaning like what kind of food? Meaning healthy food, regional f- food that's sourced regionally, food that's accessible, food that's affordable, um, uh, food that is absent of additives and and preservatives and. And does that um, manifest itself in a restaurant like yours, Victor? I mean, do customers really are they looking for that? Absolutely, they well, are. absolutely. I, I uh, you know, but I, I also I, I have a, a bit of a different take on it. You know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with what we're doing for the least among us, you know, and the, the people who, who have it the hardest. And, um, you know, I think the, 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 there are a few basic principles that we can't negate, which is you know, we have enough food in this country to feed everybody, but we don't feed them. Uh, and, you know, I, I think until we really start, I mean, that's just a, that's just a basic, you know, boil down fact, you know, when, when you reduce all the, all the liquid out of it, that's, that's in the bottom of the pan, <laughs> and um, and and that's a hard one for me. Uh, that's a, you know that's the one that drives me the most, is that you know it's it's all here, and just because um, of well, there's many reasons for it. It's not getting to the right places, and absolutely, I believe in in the proper way of, of growing, raising sustainably, uh, and and giving as many people the access to it as, as humanly possible. But until we figure out how to just direct food, uh, our leaders are, are looking to strip people of, 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 of food. And it, it, so, you know, it, it's not a, a beautiful landscape right now to me. I think it's quite negative in a lot of ways. I was out in Santa Barbara recently, which is, uh, you know, everybody I think appropriately thinks of as a very, you know, wealthy community, but there is also a very significant amount of hunger and homelessness. In Santa Barbara County in Ventura, which is this very rich agriculture sure. area, yeah, that they export about 98, I may have these numbers slightly off, but they export about 98% of all the food that they grow, and they import about 98% of all the food that they eat. Mm-hmm. That, to me, sounds like a broken food system. I, I don't know if that's a, if you would yeah, consider like that a legitimate you know, example. It's like, it's like I mean, that's just like, how could that make sense? Yeah, and you look across almost every every commodity group. I mean, think about um, seafood as, as one um, where the United States imports 90% of the seafood that it's consumed. Seafood consumption is on the rise. It's one of the fastest growing uh, um, uh, uh, sort of food groups um, uh, in America. Um, and yet our ability to grow our own um, uh, is, is, is diminished. And so um, that's the case everywhere. And I, I, I completely agree with Victor that um, it, it's, it's not just about 
quality of food. It's about access to food. And food access is one of the simplest things to fix in this country. And yet it's, it become, be. it's become one of the most intractable political issues. Yeah, it should be. Uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time with, uh, with people in places like Nicaragua, rural Peru, rural Argentina, Uruguay, all these places. And, 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 and there is no food. Okay, there. That's that's the problem. Now you go to you go to Ayacucho, Peru, and in, in the in in the mountains where you know there are many people. You know, there, there's no food. So we take we take them systems. We 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 you know with an organization like Care. I you know I was able to travel to Peru and uh, I you know see how a few hundred dollars revolutionizes whole towns. Right. Um, you know, we, we gave people... A, a, what, what do they do with a few hundred dollars? A few hundred dollars, we buy guinea pigs, okay. right? And they eat those. Mm-hmm. And we here have everything we need yeah. to feed everybody. Uh, every mouth in America could be fed, but so, it's not being fed because of policy. So let's, let's drill down on this issue because Eric was just saying food access should be the easiest thing to solve. Uh, so, so food access, um, there's, there's, there's lots of easy components to it. So one is incentives for grocery access, um, how people buy their food that they consume at home. And so um, uh, too many people are buying food um, uh, at uh, corner bodegas and at stores where um, the options just don't exist for, for good food. You know, here in the District of Columbia, there's some great efforts to, in, to provide incentives for um, good food stores to open in communities that um, demand it, but haven't had the access to it. It just isn't a. It isn't any any industry where there's a monopoly. Just not a level playing field, and so the good food players can't compete, and that's by design by policymakers. What what, what kind of worries me the most, though, and this is one one thing I want I want your perspective on, Eric, is is the 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 fruits and vegetables left on the ground to rot, the yeah. the the misshapen fruit that nobody wants and nobody wants to sell, right? Which is the operative word, I think. You know, it's it's how, how do we get that the, that food, those fruits, the same things that anybody was eating, just a little bit different shape. If you yeah. don't have the perfect apple, you know, it doesn't get included, and in, in, you know, it just falls away, yeah. um, and uh, and goes back into the earth instead of somebody's mouth. So, those are the those, and and that's all over the country. That's that's from potatoes to apples right. to to tomatoes to grapes to everything, every, you know, everything and anyone, and and uh, it's. That's my one of my biggest worries is that every day we lose, you know, what could probably feed small nations of food here. Yeah. Now, Eric, do you think of food waste as part of the broken food it, system? It, it's or a absolutely issue? part of the system. So it's a third of the food produced in the United States never, get, never gets to anybody's mouth. It, some of it's left on the farm. Some of it's left on um, in the store, in the back room at the store. Some of it's left on your plate and thrown away. Which would never yeah. happen in the little villages you were talking about. Absolutely not, America, or in my right? house. Right, right. <laughs> so, go ahead. So, uh, you know, food waste, you know, the, the, the food system is a system, and it starts by how we grow, and it, uh, and, it, and it ends with how we dispose, and everything part of it, everything is part of the system. Food waste is a huge issue in America, and, um, uh, and again, um, rel- in, the, in the scheme of things that our country is facing right now, from uh, you know horrible inequities, horrible racial issues, horrible political divide, horrible um, uh, um, uh, um, gender divides, issues like food waste, which are truly supply chain issues, there's markets for this. There's a market. There's Absolutely. a marketable way to fix these issues. Um, and what's standing in the way is policy. But you know, like childhood hunger, nobody would ever say 
I'm for food waste. Of course not. And nobody would ever say I'm for child hunger. However, of course right? not. And it's it's all the related. same. That's right. It's all related. Right. Um, uh, I want to subsidize this industry, right. not that industry. You exactly. might say that um, that I uh, that that I want other some to compete better than others. You might say that companies that are in my congressional district are um, uh, need a boost over something else. Sure. Yeah. Politics yeah, so gets. Uh, Right in there. Well, let's be a little bit more explicit about that because I thought you said something very <laughs> provocative a moment ago, which was that uh, that good food uh, makers cannot compete, and yep. the reason they can't is is because of intentional policy efforts designed to hold them back. What? How do we understand that? Like, what are what well, are you? Well, so really for example, look there? at the um, uh, uh, look at the farm bill. The majority of the farm bill goes uh, uh, the funds in the farm bill goes to um, goes to crop insurance, and that crop insurance benefits. A relatively small number of of monopolized countries in our in our food system. Um, meanwhile, there's 31 other programs within the Farm Bill that support nutrition, that support corner stores that are selling good food, that support food access for communities, that support um, uh, training programs uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, for um, for farm workers. Um, uh, and the disproportionate attention that's paid to that. To those to that side, the sort of crop insurance title versus all these other sort of programs that support a good food system, um, is pretty stark. And that's because there are big corporate lobbyists who can afford to and get it's paid a priority to thing. It's, make it's, that it's, case. It's a priority thing, I think, in, in in everything else, right? I mean, we have a we 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 have to change, you know, those priorities at a base level, and you know, I think chefs can do their jobs in their kitchens by you know by serving. Um, Nowadays, what's very cool about the industry is that we're serving different cuts, different uh, uh, different things that should, you know, that normally, you know, I, I trained in, in in France, and you know, there, there's a food waste issue there just because of how fancy everything needs to be on the plate. Uh, so, uh, but, but you know, it's a little different. Um, but you know, nowadays we, we we you know, in general, even the most fine dining restaurants serve all kinds of different cuts of meat. All uh, and and all kinds of different vegetables and all kinds of things and more seasonal and so the movement is in the, on the right path. Everything is going in the right direction. We're not, uh, you know, uh, throwing away you know whole animals just to get a certain cut out of it anymore. And uh, you know, and I'm hoping I'm hoping that continues and grows. Yep. Uh, but the intention and the priorities need to be fixed. And that's I, that's the that's the crux of it to me. And and Victor, here's the reason why I'm optimistic. Why there's actually an optimistic future for food policy and for our food system. Um, the first is influencers. People like Victor, some of the other chefs, some of the other sort of tastemakers um, are showing the right way. They're showing it in their restaurants. They're showing it on their TV shows. They're showing it in, in how they treat their supply chain. They are the leaders, um, and they're influencing the rest of the system. Second is consumers. Consumer demand for a better food system is off the charts, and, 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 and they will overrun politicians any day. I'd invest in the consumers any day, and consumer demand is is learning from the influencers and taking this in the right direction. And then the third is the policymakers. Policymakers are starting to get it. And and listen, the the the, the member of Congress or the city council person or the county commissioner from a rural uh, uh, impoverished area um, may not be as passionate about a food system as we are, but they're passionate about the local economy. They're passionate about the jobs, and they're seeing now that a better food system is good for the economy and good for the jobs. And so they're, they're, um, they're the lagging indicator. I think for many years we believed that politicians uh, were the front runner of change. 
now in this new sort of political uh, political environment they're in, they're really the lagging indicator. What's leading the change are the influencers like Victor and the consumers that are learning from them. You know, I personally get affected when I when I speak to a, a, a congressman or a, a senator and I say, hey, you know, um, tomato paste or, or, you know, tomato sauce on pizzas in our schools, they're a vegetable. You guys feel good with that. And... Um, <laughs> You know, they, you know, it's very frustrating to see, you know, a, you know, pretty constant shrug of the shoulders to, to these facts, you know. It definitely, it dampens the, the, the perspectives for me a little bit. Um, but I do believe in what Eric's saying. I think overall it's moving in the right direction. Uh, it's uh, getting people to speak truth and, and to prioritize this as, as something that, that matters because it affects so many parts of our lives. You know, that's the good thing in the, ba- you know, it's, it's the... It's that's the double-edged sword of uh, you know of this whole thing is that wh- whether it comes to chefs and celebrities and and food and all you got to eat uh, every day you know so it's like it's like sleep it's uh, you know so it's something that you can uh, you know double down on a lot and and uh, and there's there's tons of resources it's just it, it's just about organizing them and get people to see things and uh, and prioritizing things for the right reasons right now was you know I would imagine that for sure everybody who works for you in your restaurants knows that this is how you feel because you express sure. it and you're talking about it every chance you get. Absolutely. And so the opportunity for them to grow up under that That's um, thing, yeah. is really important because they'll go on, right, and open up their own restaurants and yeah. take that with them. And I think we've just seen that, God, that huge growth um, in the chef community that care about issues like hunger, like nutrition, like better food systems. Um, and as they, you know, as they... Uh, watch their sous chefs sure. and stuff come up. Their pastry chefs. There, you know, sure. I've seen it. Sure, uh, yeah. it's no, incredible. It makes a difference. Yeah. And, uh, and there are uh, plenty of um, resources spent. You know, reaching out to to people uh, that don't like how vocal we are about um, things. You know, there there uh, there's a lot of people who who don't. You know, that 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 are. That, that think that you're making a political stand yeah. over over these things, yeah. and it's never about that to me. Yeah. Well, all, and they have some. It's always about the issue, right? Yeah, it's, and it's, some it's, self-interest in not yeah. changing yeah. the system. Absolutely. So, I guess my question would be, and this is something Debbie and I talk a lot about with our colleagues at Share Our Strength, is how do we kind of up our game? Because um, I'm fundamentally an optimist as as well as Eric stated, but uh, the number of people who know what's in the farm bill. Yeah, I think I, I think the last thing we need to do is educate people about the farm bill. Um, uh, I think the first thing we need to do is um, is help people express the values that they care about in a food system. I still feel like this issue is just it's just under the radar yeah. uh, for people. Well, the brilliance of the uh, if I may say of the No Kid Hungry campaign at Share Our Strength is that it's completely understandable. It's led by values, which is there should be no hungry kids in America. Tell me a little bit about what you would advise, somebody's listening to this show, they want to get involved, they say, yes, I do share those values. Um, what can the average person do to be making a difference on this issue? There are many avenues now for people. We're always looking for another voice, uh, another hand, uh, and uh, and more support in all of these battles. But really it's about, you know, it, it's supporting these causes. And, uh, you know, it's not that far away. I mean, I think, you know, we work pretty hard in this country to you know, for whatever little things that we want, you know, the, the, you know, if this becomes a want of, of, of many people, 
um, I, I think I think you know that will only be a benefit. So some of it can re- can also relate to the choices you make personally. That's exactly about, right. Yeah. About what you do, That's what you exactly consume. Right. Yeah, I, one make you know, make your voice heard. Um, lead with your values. Um, you should be talking about the things you care about, whether it's food or something else. But it should be part of your discourse. And then vote. Vote with your ballot and vote with your pocketbook. And so the ballot is easy, and we don't do enough of it. Um, the pocketbook is more challenging, but it means. Um, if you're choosing between two restaurants, um, I, I, um, frequent the one where uh, the restaurant ascribes to your values as a consumer. If you are in the if you're in the grocery aisle or in your the, you're in the corner store, take the second to understand what it is you're consuming and vote with your pocketbook. Absolutely, I mean you know it, it, that that's a big one is is understanding who you're voting for, what you know, and and what you're voting for. You know, take moments. Uh, to understand it clearly, you know, it, it means a lot to a lot of people. Well, Eric Kessler, powerful leader and visionary on food in this country and uh, the founder and uh, managing partner at Arabella Advisors. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. And Victor, I'm going to try it one more time. Victor Albiso. There you go. Victor Albiso um, from, uh, uh, from Del Campo uh, and um, uh, Taco and sister. Bombo. And my sister, I'm not going to forget twice. It's uh, it's okay to forget her once, but not twice. Uh, and co-founder at Share Our Strength, Deb. Thanks for being here. Yeah, Thank you, guys. pleasure. Thank you. Very Thank much you. For Great conversation. Thank you. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to Ad Passion and Stir. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Ad Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.